Well, good stuff. Well, someone sign with the Fox title. Tell me. Who knows? Integrating the gospel in daily life, right? Yeah. So the first question I have for you is, you guys are going to teach me a little bit, but I feel like the church, and most of you are probably church people in this room, and if you're not, I'm glad you're here. Uh, but I would like for you to, we understand the word integration, that's easy, we understand daily life, but there is, there is an aspect of a word in here that we say all the time that I'm not sure if I just started teaching would, would be well defined. And that word is the gospel. So if you guys can help me uh, define the gospel, that'd be great. If I need to write out a white word, I can, but most of you are pretty smart. You already have your notepads out. And so help me define the gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news. So we know it's the good news. Tempted to write, I'm not going to do it. Come along back forth. So we know it's the good news, but that even in its definition itself, this, the Cubs winning the World Series is also good news to me. Okay. So what? What? Let's define a little deeper. So the gospel is oriented. Like when you say gospel, that means good news. But what is the gospel? What is the good news? Our new life in Christ. Our new life in Christ. Good. Our good life. Our, our salvation. Okay. Our new life in Christ and salvation. What else? Is, so when Jesus said gospel, though, when he said, hey, I have good news for you, prior, prior to him dying on a cross and rising from the dead, part of the gospel was still present at that point. So what else is the gospel? Bad news. What? Bad news. Okay, is, but is, is the gospel bad news? No, it's the bad news that the gospel. Okay, sin. so what's the bad news? Our sin. Our sin. Okay, there's sin that separates us from who? God, good. You guys know that. So, what else is good news? So, let's just do this. You guys are smart. You can figure this out. But if ultimately the good news is that we have a Savior that, uh, because we're going to start at the very beginning. So, in Genesis 3, when sin came into the world, and we were created in what? His what? His image. His image. That word image really is kind of like imprint. And so, it's not like you look like God as much as you've been imprinted by God. You were created in His image. So, He imprinted Himself on you. The way I like to talk about it most times is like a handprint. So it's like handprint was on you, because it just the visual imagery makes sense to my brain, my simple brain. And so in Genesis 3, when we sin, uh, he can no longer be what? Attached to that. So then we we if, as soon as sin came into the world, what happened? We we experienced anxiety, we experienced depression, we experienced the idea of like knowing that we were naked. We like you be all these different things all at one time we experienced. And ultimately it's because the handprint or the impression of God were like this. Because his hand can't be attached. He cannot be attached to what? To sin, because he's, he's the opposite of it. And so, in that moment, it creates this huge chasm in the Christian world. We say, all of us have a void inside us. But actually, it's biblical. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says that God has put eternity into the hearts of men and women. And that, that, like, you cannot know and fathom it. Uh, one way to look at it, too, is because the gospel, because Jesus has done this, so then there was this huge pursuit. Genesis chapter 3, he says, I'll send my seed to this world. You will bruise him on the what? Heel. And he will bruise you on the head. That's right. Basically saying, Jesus coming, he's going to dominate. whole Old Testament is about what? He's coming. Jesus comes into the world. And when Jesus comes into the world, there's this thing called the kingdom. You ever read about it in the New Testament? We hear kingdom all the time, right? And I remember, like, honestly, even through Bible college, when they'd say kingdom, I would just nod my head like, oh yeah, kingdom. But honestly, I had no idea what the kingdom was. See, the kingdom was inaugurated when? You tell me, when? What do you have to have to have kingdom? Come on. You have to have king and you have to have what? Citizens. King and a citizen. So the kingdom was inaugurated when he was right upon the clothes. He was lying in a... The kingdom was inaugurated at his birth. Okay? So he was born into this world. The kingdom is here. Right? But he also said at times, not only the kingdom is here, but he said the kingdom is coming. And so this time of his birth is where the kingdom was inaugurated. And then this whole, his lifespan on this earth and all of our lifespan on this earth is like a huge wedding banquet. It's like a party that we're tired of some days, right? But the consummation of his kingdom is when? When he comes back. And when he comes back, the consummation of his kingdom happens. It's when we become whole. It's when the handprint of God, the imprint of God does what to us? Returns. That is part of the gospel. That's part of the good news. And so when you look at this thing called gospel, this thing called gospel is this overarching thing that we have a king who has come, and when he was here, he died and he made a way for us, and that is good news. It's good news that we get to go to heaven. It's good news that our sins are forgiven. It's good news, it's good news, it's good news. But it's also good news that he's coming back and he's going to gather us to be with him. Now here's my question. is How is it good news to my Muslim neighbor? Integrating into our daily life. How is it good news to them? 
Well, he came for them as well. He came for them as well. Yeah, so so ultimately it's good news for all mankind because for God's love, the world he died and gave his only begotten son for who? For everybody. Okay? But let's let's just get real practical and let's dig down a little bit. What if they reject him in this moment? How is it good news for them? It's still good news because they have a king who came. And they have a father who loves them. So don't miss that. But how else is it good news? How is it good news for my children that I'm in good shape? I'm actually not in great shape, but I'm not in bad shape. If I didn't go out and run with my kids, I can. I can play with my kids. I can bend over. I can play games on the floor. If my daughter wants to throw in the air, I can throw her in the air for a long time. How is that good news for my kids? Even though my kids might be, my kids are actually in great shape, but if my kids are in awful shape, how is it good news for my family that I'm in good shape? Because there's hope. Because there's hope. But look, even more practically, stop thinking so spiritual. Because you can, you can help them. I can protect them, and I can what? I can help them. You know what my son loves to do? He loves the fact that when he walks into a room, he tells me this, that he can jump up on my arm and swing on my arm. And he said one day, he said, Dad, I love that I can do that, and I love that other kids can't. He said. <laughs> he loves the fact that when we play outside, I played football with him for a long, long time, and I'm not puffing and puffing, and I can't breathe, and I can't play with my kids. He loves the fact that I coach his games. So the symptoms of a of a person who's in shape positively affects the people what? Around them. How does the gospel affect my Muslim neighbor? How does the gospel affect my atheist neighbor? How does my gospel affect the single mom across the street that doesn't want to go to church? How does the gospel affect the person across the, that's down the road from me that went to church one time and felt judged and will never go back? How does the gospel positively affect them? It change the way we treat them. me. I'm a gospel-oriented person. I take the trash cans out even when it's raining. You, you with me? When they're sick, my wife and I, we bring them food. The gospel is good news because we have people that are willing to go to countries that you... Why would you go there? It's not like, man, I can't wait for that vacation in Tanzania. Man, I can't wait to go work with refugees in Greece. Man, I can't wait to have my children get malaria and work in West Africa. I can't. But the gospel's good news. Why? Because we care. And why do we care? Because he cares. See, when the gospel penetrates our hearts, guys, I think that sometimes we forget that the gospel, just like a, just like a, a, a positive disease, you can say disease, it's negative, but because of a gospel influence, it has a positive effect on other things. For instance, uh, this, this last year, I had, not this year, a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to went into uh, the Horn of Africa, and I just met with underground church leaders. Uh, and it was actually through uh, an NGO that's here at this conference, and it's like they support the underground church through basically a medical mission type thing. And so we went in, met with the underground churches. But I remember when you have to sign, and a lot of you know this who've traveled into those parts of the world, you have to sign all these papers, and it's like, I'm okay if they kill me by doing this. I'm okay if I, like, you, basically you say, if they kill me, I'm okay with this. And I remember taking these papers home because my wife had to sign some stuff because of an insurance policy that we have. And it's like, we're not going to pay off the insurance policy. Like, hey, we're good. Don't worry about it. But on the insides, there's part of you that thinks, why am, are we? Why? But you know why Christians do that? Because we don't fear death. Like the world fears death. Our hope is eternal. So this is what I'm trying to say about the gospel, guys. That I just want us to understand what when we say the word gospel, most churches, when they say the word gospel, what they think is plan of salvation. Like you should, we can't disagree on the gospel, and yet churches are divided on how you with me. Like how ridiculous. You know what else is ridiculous? I'm going to mention for a second. The fact that the churches are divided based on, based on the blood of Jesus. Like the reason churches divide usually is based on the way we practice the blood of Jesus, which in itself the blood of Jesus is supposed to do what? Unite us. I just think that's comical how Satan has tricked us. It just makes my heart mourn. It's not really funny. It kind of makes me angry. But instead of saying like bad words, I'm trying to be happy. <laughs> so the gospel. You with me? We understand then. Some of you came in late. You just have to ask somebody else. It's okay. But the gospel in itself, we're going to start, is the king came into this world. The kingdom was inaugurated at his birth. 
There's this wedding banquet that we're in right now. That's why we're still unfulfilled. But we're sure excited that He came. We're sure excited that we know He's coming back. The consummation of His kingdom is when He comes back. It's when the handprint of God, the imprint of God is restored to us. We're with Him for all eternity. We are fulfilled. We live forever. And also His kingdom and He reigns and He finally gets the glory He deserves. Like the last time the brother got a pat on the back was when he walked in, when he was on the back of a donkey coming in Jerusalem. You with me? Like it's been a while. He deserves it. Okay? And so, that is also part of the gospel. Now, see, the one way to understand inauguration consummation is wedding. So, I remember the day that my wedding was inaugurated. Uh, my wife comes walking down the aisle, and I'm thinking the whole time, Man, she, she is fine. She likes me. Walk fast and don't look at who you're marrying. That's okay. <laughs> so, like, man, I must have a great personality. And so, she comes walking forward. We say all the I do's. We put the rings on her finger. It wasn't this one. This was the third, this is the third, fourth ring. I lost the other three. She married me. It's okay. <laughs> and so now I don't even buy like real rings. Sorry, I'm going to talk about myself. I just buy like the rubber ones because when I lose them, they're like 16 bucks to replace them. For you. So, so, but that's that's the moment we were married. We were inaugurated. I do. Kiss the bride. Bam. On this time. This is, we walk down the aisle. Everyone cheers. But then I went to the stupid wedding banquet where everyone wanted to talk to us. We had meat cake, mints. That was back in the day when you didn't have like full-blown meals and candles on tables. Literally, it was just cake, mints, and peanuts. That's it. Way cheaper, way better, actually. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't like $30, which, anyway, it's crazy how much money we spend on weddings. Okay. And then, but after this thing, then me and my wife, we go to our honey room thing, and we consummate our marriage, and the two become one flesh. And that's when it's consummated. That's when the marriage is fulfilled. That is when it is complete. He's coming back to make us complete. But until that time, is the focus of a wedding banquet, the people who are there, what's the focus of a wedding banquet? The writer? The purpose of them is to... And our purpose sometimes, if you want to integrate the gospel in your daily life, the purpose of your daily life has to be a wedding banquet. The purpose of your thing is, how do I serve the bride, church? <clears throat> how do I honor the groom? And sometimes I think we try to make it way more complicated than it is. How that integrates for you, we'll talk about how it's done through other people throughout Scripture. But I just feel like I wanted to talk about the word gospel, because I think it really matters. I think right now, I think culture, how gospel-oriented people... React to what's happening in the United States, or react to what's happening in the world, or react, react what's happening to the refugee crisis, or react what's happening to the political world, or react what's happening to the divide of people. How, how gospel are people reacted? Our hope is in heaven, and we're here to serve you in this moment. That's how gospel people react. No matter what we did in the booth or what you do, like, that's how we react. Uh, we, we don't react with. We don't, you know what you're, a wedding banquet? You don't judge the way the groom and the bride are dancing. And if you do, you're really lame. Actually, you probably do. But you should. But you wouldn't be like, you're there to have fun with them. That's why we turn the lights down at a wedding banquet, and we turn the lights down at a dance so people can't see the crazy white people trying to dance. Okay. So, any questions on gospel before we move forward? Any questions? I just think it matters. I just want to make sure we say the word gospel so much. And, and ultimately we say, have you presented the gospel? And when we present the gospel, usually we present what? Just the plan of salvation. It's like, yeah, Jesus died, he rose, you need him. And that, honestly, big part of it. But the effects of a gospel lifestyle is what transforms the world. One way to look at this is, Jesus gave us this room, this church. That's who we are. We all look different, we all live in different places. And all of us together, loving each other with the same purpose and the same vision of honoring and respecting the bride and the groom and living life to pursue them and make them known is what brings us into unity. And it's when we look in the mirror as a body, the world should see Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel doesn't look in... The problem is sometimes when the world looks into a mirror, it sees a couple individuals maybe, but ultimately it, it doesn't see the image of Jesus. Because I really think, people always ask the question, because 
I work here at the church, and I get the opportunity to travel around and talk to other churches. You know, how how does even like churches grow or how I think it's because when you look at that if you see Jesus, people come. Because Jesus in his nature and God in his nature is worthy of coming to. But when the church looks in the mirror and it doesn't see that, it really is a very disgusting place. Uh, I had the opportunity to work at the University of Illinois with our football and basketball programs for a while as I was a minister. And I remember anytime a kid made a mistake, ultimately you would kick him off the team because the image of one could ruin the image of all. That's the institutions of man. Just so you know, that's how it works. If you have a job right now and you get picked up for something and your name is in the paper, that image destroys the image of the rest, and so what do they do to the image of one? You're gone. That is not the church. The image of all of us is broken, but the image of all of us is of Jesus. That's what I'm trying to lay out. The beauty of us is our brokenness. But when, we, when the world sees us, it's to see the blood of Jesus. Why? Because we love each other despite, in, spi- in spite of our Okay, gospel. Any questions? At some point, I want you guys to like talk back to me. It works better. <laughs> but any questions on gospel? It's been pretty clear. I, I get it. It's not rocket science, even though I think probably 99% of Christians don't really understand what the word means. But that's why it's good news. And that's why it's good news to everyone, even those who don't believe. Now, they think we're crazy foolish, which is totally cool with me. But that's the good news. Okay, now, look at my daily life. Uh, I want to look at a, at a couple different biblical characters. Uh, when I say biblical characters, I mean like historical characters. I'm not talking like Santa Claus. I'm talking like biblical, like historical people. Uh, and the first one I'm going to look at is Daniel. Because like, Daniel has the most to do with us today. Of any, like when I'm Daniel's. This is how I even phrase it. Daniel's my mentor right now. Uh, when I when I look into scripture, one thing that's changed in me. And for those of you who are just really digging the scripture for the first time, it's so easy for you to read the Bible uh, and try to find a verse or a thing that says there that makes you happy that day. But what I really want to challenge you to do is when you're reading scripture, uh, I think the reason why God gives us all these incredible stories of these incredible men and women is because they're like, they're, I'm sitting at the table when I read the book of Daniel, it's like me, my coffee, Daniel across the table teaching you about how to live life. Daniel is a mentor. David is a mentor. Esther is a mentor. Ruth is a mentor. Are you with me? That's the relationship God wants us to have with this. See, this is a window to see God. This is not a list of rules on a wall. It's a huge difference in how you perceive the Word of God. If you perceive it as a list of rules and regulations, you, you generally speaking, live in legalism, which is just a really sad place to live. Like, it just hurts my heart. The other day, my daughter fell down in the church. We were here on a Wednesday night at choir practice. My boys hate, but their mom made them do, which I'm glad she did. And so my daughter was running through the church because I just walked in. I had just worked out and came in so that I will actually be able to play with my kids. I do eat donuts. I work out so I'm not obese. I don't work out so I'm, like, perfect. <laughs> don't judge me. That's how I roll. <laughs> so I come walking into this church building. As I walk into this church building, my daughter, who is only five years old, comes running across the church atrium, which is like a trap. I mean, it's not like, man, you're going to run into somebody. <coughs> running across the church building, she gets right in front of uh, someone who's like, we are paying to like welcome people. Okay? i got to talk away from the mic here. My daughter falls down, biffs it. Like, like, you know how like when a kid falls and like their head catches him? That's what happens. So I come walking over, and the person doesn't see me, because if they saw me, they would know... They wouldn't have said what they're about to say. And they go, that's what you get for running the church. So she said and she walked away. And I picked up my daughter, and she's got like rug burns on her face. She's got no no front teeth because she's from Kentucky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she did fall down the bleachers, and her two front teeth, boom, gone. So she's a little rambunctious, and she catches herself with her face, but it's okay. <laughs> so I pick her up, and she's crying, and I'm loving on her, and there's something inside of me that I'm not upset that I'm not Honestly, I wasn't upset at that woman at all. But I just thought to myself, I feel so sorry for you. Like, my heart hurts that you think it's okay for a five-year-old girl to fall down, and, and it's her fault because she's running the church. Like, it just, I just think, oh, when you go to bed at night, you, you are not happy. <laughs> you should try Epsom salts in your bathroom. <laughs> but, that's, but the gospel, listen to me, when we truly understand the gospel message of Jesus, it should penetrate that parts of us, and it should soften us. 
It should soften us to a five-year-old kid who's running. Now, should she have been running? Probably not. But you know what? She's five years old. She saw her dad for the first time all day. Back to Daniel. So he's my mentor. So Daniel's in what? So Daniel started where? You guys know the story. You're smarter than me. I Literally. This room, your IQ, higher than mine. Okay? You're like medical professionals. I like barely graduated Bible college. So uh, talk to me. What's going on? Daniel started where? Israel. Okay? Starts in Israel. He's a captive. He is literally a refugee. He is taken out of there. Uh, first thing that happens to Daniel is what? We're going to be. We're going to talk honestly because you guys are adults and you're medical professionals, so we can actually talk about this stuff. So what's one of the first things to do to Daniel? They take his man parts. There's actually a medical term. I really don't know what it's called. Actually, I do, but I'm not going to say it. And so they take his man parts. The first thing they do, they take his man parts. He heals up. He gets into what what nation? What empire? Babylon. Babylon. He goes into Babylon. There's three different kings in which Babylon that he works with in Babylon. The first thing we see was how does Daniel allow. Jesus, or God, or the Holy Spirit, or this thing called the gospel. Even though the gospel had been spoken of, God had penetrated Daniel's heart. How does he allow to integrate himself into Babylon? Someone describe Babylon to you. What was it like? Pretty historians. What? Pretty hedonistic. Pretty hedonistic. There was a phrase in Babylon that basically was this, look out for number one. That basically was Babylon. Babylon was... A super wealthy empire. Everyone kind of got what they wanted. And the rich became keep getting richer. The poor kept getting poorer. And everyone was pretty much okay with it. Okay? Babylon, honestly, has lots of similarities. Lots of people to Rome. Has lots of similarities to even the United States in this day. It has similarities. I'm not saying it's the same. But it's similar. But the reality is, he was a minority. <coughs> and I'm going to use the word gospel-oriented person. You understand that I realize Jesus hasn't been born yet. I'm not crazy. But a gospel-oriented person is the minority in our culture today in a majority world. So this is why Daniel is so important for you to read about and talk to. Not talk to him, but talk to God about Daniel. And so, Daniel, you see living his life, does Daniel fight the battles that don't matter? He actually doesn't. It actually talks about how Daniel serves the king so the king accomplishes goals as long as those goals didn't stand in the face of God. So it's like your boss at work, or it's like someone in your class. You can help them win, even though they are absolutely diametrically opposed to everything you stand for. You can serve them and help them win. That's different than how we operate. Some of us, we don't want to walk in that building because this is here, or this is sold, or this is this. Or What would happen if we come alongside... I'll tell you what happens when you come alongside... There's a ministry here that we have in the church, and a lot of churches have it, where... Literally, we just bring meals to strippers. And we love them. Now, our end goal is we would love for them to walk away from that industry and be fulfilled in who they are in their image of Christ. But ultimately, we're feeding them, we're paying for their meals. And so, well, what are they going to use their money for? We, we don't, I don't care. We need food. And we can serve them. What would Daniel do? He can serve meals. So you see Daniel do this, and then what does he do? The world around him says Daniel is Daniel's a good dude. They like Daniel. Why don't why don't sometimes people like Christians? Because Christians don't serve sometimes non-Christians. You see Daniel constantly doing those things. You also see Daniel three times a day kneeling on his knees and praying. Daniel to me is is one of these people in the Bible that I'm really kind of there's a lot of things that happen to Daniel I don't necessarily want to happen to Daniel. But man, talk about having a relationship with the Lord. Daniel saw more about what Daniel knows more about our future than we do. Daniel knows more about our present than we do. Why? Because he integrated God into everything he did. He walked with the Lord. And the moments when he was faced where he could not reconciled God to the, to, to the job that they gave him, what did he do? He opened up the brother's windows, he got down on his knees, and he was willing to go to a line with them. You know, my favorite part of that passage is when it says in that passage that when the king rolled the stone in front of him, which the king didn't want to do that. You can tell the king is like pumped Daniel's alive, by the way, if you've never read that story. But there's a phrase in there that says that his situation would not change. The same phrase is used in the Greek in the New Testament when they roll the stone in front of Jesus that his situation would not change. How many of us feel like there's situations in our lives that keep us from integrating the gospel? Listen to me. Our God is in the business of changing your situation. That's what he does. 
he, he literally changes situations. So that's, that's what we can learn from Daniel. We, we learn this idea of Daniel served people, he sacrificed for people, he loved people, he put others first. He, he did all these different things, and because of that, literally a minority, like minority as in a handful of dudes, literally transformed an empire. We, we are the minority as gospel-oriented people in this culture. There is no doubt about that. But if we would be the image of Jesus very soon and very quickly, the masses would want to know what's going on. Okay? Another person I want to talk about is David. So David was anointed king. We know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, if you're ever studying, like, uh, to me, one of the greatest things about David and Goliath we never talk about them real quick is just this idea of covenant mediator. The fact that David represented the whole nation of Israel and Goliath represented the Philistine army. And really, it's a prelude to the idea of Jesus as our covenant mediator who defeats you. You guys probably know this stuff. But that's exciting, cool stuff. Okay? So you see David grow up. And I'm going to parallel this with living daily with, with the Lord, with David, because every single day that, that David in his life got up in the morning and sought the Lord, it was good. If you read through, if you want to do a study, because you guys are smart, Look at First and Second Kings and the Chronicles, and look at the kings that go through. And this is a phrase that will say in all the chapters is, they sought the Lord daily, their eyes were turned to the Lord, or something like that. And they would say, and they ruled with the Lord, or they reigned well, or they did these things. And then someone would say, well, they started looking for the Lord, but then they didn't. And then someone would say, they were just basically bad dudes. David, when he was king and they were fighting, what happened the mornings David woke up and asked the Lord for battle plans? What happened? Tell me. The answer is they won. What happens today, so let's say David gets up, let's say we get up every single morning and the Lord says the same thing to us. He's like, hey, talk to this person today. Talk to this person. He uses the same thing. Hey, you need to like, spend time with your kids and turn ESPN off. He says that to me a lot. <laughs> says it every day. And then what's, what if one morning you wake up and you think, you know, I'm not going to ask the Lord today because he told me the same thing the last four days. We're just going to roll this. That's what David did. And what happened to his army? Boom. So why does God do this with David? I think it's to teach us. Uh, teach us, Guys, there's a moment in our day we have to turn our eyes to the Lord. And our eyes should always be fixed on it. But a moment you go to a quiet place and you spend with Him. Here's the deal. Some of you are like me in this room. I am not a person that enjoys solitude. You can tell that by me. I'm not a person that spends hours in solitude every day. That's not who God created when He created me. I am an action-oriented person. I want to do things. I journey with the Lord all day. I talk like me and Lord, we're tight. I'm not a guy that like journals, lights candles, and gets down on pillows. That's not me. Okay, if that's you, if that's a great thing you can learn about how to journey with Jesus in church, that's all we really talk about in church. If you journal and you pray, you do this and that. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm a person that likes to be on the move. But still, every day there has to be a moment where I'm still before the Lord and I say, Lord. What do you want from me today? Because if you don't, guys, our eyes get turned away from the king. If we do not look through the window, we forget what he looks like. It's a big deal. How do we see Esther journey with the Lord? Esther didn't know tons about the Lord, but she knew enough. Mordecai, Haman, the story. You know how Esther journeys with the Lord, I think, better than anyone else? And even though she is separate from God's people... She seeks out God's people to journey with her. It's another aspect of journeying with the Lord. Lots of you are going into a profession where you're going to be alone in this idea of a gospel carrier. Some of you are going to be in countries where you're all alone as a gospel carrier. And you need to remember, you have to connect yourself to the body. You have to connect yourself to the bride. Because the prayers of the bride are the fuel for what you do. If you think you're going to go into your college... And like Daniel, be a minority and influence the majority, you have to be connected to the warriors on the ground who are praying for you. Esther, I think, was so transformational in that culture, honestly, because of her humility. We don't talk about that much with Esther. Like, she was obviously super pretty. She was obviously super smart. She had a lot of things going for her. She had every reason to think she could do it herself. I mean, honestly, we don't talk about that a lot, but Esther had everything going for her, and then she continued to sacrifice. Imagine your whole life, ladies, dreaming of marrying a Jewish man who'd saved himself for you. 
You can understand that. A lot of you can. Maybe not the Jewish part, but you can understand that. <laughs> but you understand this idea of saving yourself for a, a wedding night. Fellas, ladies, a lot of you understand this. And just how core that is when you make that decision, how core that is to what you desire. And then all of a sudden, you find out you're chosen to marry the dude that's got hundreds or thousands of concubines. We don't talk about that in the church. Can you imagine that walk that Esther had down that hallway to that room that first time? Humility. And humility a lot of times comes through humiliation. But I think that she journeyed. When she's confronted with this thing, this king that adores her, he really does. He chose her out of anyone. And she thought she could have had the arrogance like, I'm just going to sit down with the king where I talk this out. I'm going I'm to tell this king what's going on. <laughs> I, I don't know. But what is her first response when she hears of the plot to of Israel? Man, she steps away and prays, y'all. She fasted, she prays, and she doesn't do it alone. Imagine going, think about this too. Imagine having the finest clothes. Finest clothes. You are like pimped out with good. And you are like, bam. All your brothers and sisters are outside, starving, barely eating, dirty, killing themselves for a little unleavened bread. And you walk to a gate, it was a gate, and all your fine clothes and your pretty perfume. And you ask the people outside the gate who are spending all day scrounging for life. And this is what you say. I need you. Humility. If you want to integrate the gospel into your daily life, you have to be humble enough to integrate yourself into anyone else's life. You have to be humble enough to ask the body of believers to journey with you. You have to be humble enough to open yourself up to allow uh, where the darkest recesses of your your body is and your mind is to allow light to come in. How does light come in? By other, other gospel-oriented people shining light in there. And it's not even about the word accountability. Accountability matters, but what I'm talking is bigger than that. What I'm talking is vulnerability. You should have vulnerability in order to be held accountable. Accountability in our church world today has just been stolen. And it really is like this idea. If I'm going to tell you what I did wrong, you're going to tell you you did wrong, we're going to patch up on the back, drink some coffee, and feel good about ourselves. It's really guilt, though. That's not what Jesus means. Okay? Another uh, person that I want to look at is the best one. It's Jesus. And uh, how did Jesus integrate the gospel himself into everyday life? I want to do this with you in kind of a unique way, and I've stolen absolutely all this from a guy, a buddy of mine named Dan. And uh, but to me, the gospel lived out in my life is lived out. Basically, Jesus lives his life in a certain way. Sometimes we don't look at it that way. We just look at all the different biblical stories. Yes, here's the truth: is most of us have no idea who Jesus is because our churches teach a Paulian view of the gospel. They don't teach Jesus. That's not me being critical. It's just real, it's way easier to understand Paul. Because he comes from a Greek mindset. Like, he teaches to Greeks. So, like, when Paul... Why is it every preacher uses scriptures out of the epistles every time he preaches? Because we understand them. But sometimes it's really under, hard to understand Jesus when he says, let the, let the, let the dogs get scraps off my table. For me, I've, like, literally been... I have these commentaries on this table we have in our house. And they're just all Jewish commentaries. Because I have to understand Judaism better. Because Jesus, lots of times, y'all, doesn't make sense to me. And he's my savior. He's your savior. Like, that's a problem. As a preacher, like, I literally am paid to talk about him. And the fact that I don't understand what the culture he comes from, listen to me, problem. <clears throat> so Jesus lives his life in a certain way. He grows up his first 30 years. We know a little bit about that. Both the way he integrates the gospel into his life and his ministry is this. The first phrase you hear Jesus saying all the time in the gospels, if you look at, like, uh, a chronological look in the New Testament, or you look at a chronological look at the life of Jesus, or... Those things. He says the phrase, come and what? See. Come see. So this like first chair he lives in, or this first phase of life he lives in the ministry, he lives there for 18 months. 18 months of his three years, he says, hey, come on, come on, come on, come and see, come and see, come and see, come and see. He doesn't, it's not his first sermon, it's not, eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's not how he started. 
His first sermon is not that. His first, his first thoughts are, just come and see. Come check this out. He doesn't even perform very many miracles here. Only a couple. You know, turning water into the wine. There's not a lot of miracles there. So this idea of come and see him, what basically is he's trying to show us, I believe, you know, how many times our next door neighbors, they just need to know you. Hey, come and see, have a barbecue. Hey, come and see, I'll mow your grass, let's talk. Come and see, let's cut this tree down. Come and see, let's go to the park. Come and see, let's go to a movie. Like they have to, because if they see you, what are they seeing if they see me? And part of the image of Jesus, not the whole. I can't be the whole. I'm too broken. I'm not plural. I'm singular. But they can see a part of me. And then as they get to know me, I can introduce them to the rest, to the church. But that's what Jesus says. He says, come and see, come and see. The next thing you hear Jesus say is, follow me. Follow me. So after they get to know him a little bit, he ups the ante, doesn't he? Just follow me. Follow me. And as they follow him, they're walking with him, and ultimately, this is the crossroads that we have in our lives when we decided, I'm going to check out who Jesus is, and I'm going to make a decision for him. I'm going to step across that line, whatever that line is in your church, that plan of salvation, that Roman, whatever we call it. That situation, when that is crossed over and you walk into this new place in your life, you are following the Lord. We are Christ followers. We are Christians. We are little Christs. That's the, where we come from. It was actually a slur. You guys know that. But that's how we walk. And he says, follow me, follow me. In the follow me phase, it's like nine months, and he's like doing tons of miracles, and he's done crazy stuff, and he's, he's like doing all this awesome stuff. He's saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And this is what he's basically saying. is He's saying, you can do everything that I have done. Do you believe that? He says that. He says he is Jesus. He says you can do this. Then he changes his brain a little bit. He says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. When we think fishing, when I think fishing, I think my kids trying to untangle their lines, my daughter willing to touch the fish and the worms, one of my sons is really not digging the fish that much, <laughs> me doubting his manhood because he won't grab a fish, I'm just joking, a little, it does bother me. <laughs> but when you fish, how do I fish? I try to put something tricky on there, don't I? I cast it out and I try to trick that fish. How does the church fish today? Man, if we can create something that looks a lot like culture, it'd be really tricky. They can just bite a hole that we can show them who he is. Is that what Jesus meant when he met fishers of men? How did they fish? Nets. Do you fish with a net by yourself? Now you grab like 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 20 other people. You throw that net out into the waters where they are. You go where they are. And the fish swim in your net. It's different, huh? And how can we be relevant? Another church leader says that. I literally am going to kick him in the face. <laughs> That's my weakness. I really show a lot of grace to those outsiders, but the insiders I kind of just want to smoke. <laughs> just something sinful inside of me kind of wants to wrestle. I'm from Iowa. That's what we do. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> never race a Kenyan, never wrestle a dude from Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, but I think that that's something that when he says fishers of men, guys, listen to me. This journey is not your personal journey. You know that. You're here at this conference. You realize that there's something in you that's realized. I need to sacrifice my desire for the desire of the king. Or you wouldn't be up at 8 o'clock in the morning hearing about it. But I'm just trying to say is find people that your spirit is yoked to and fish with them. You know, people that you're drawn to, you'll find that in life. Your spirit cries out for it in life. And fish with them. And then the last phrase Jesus says. Also, I want to talk about this with fishers and men. In Luke 9 and 10, we're not going to talk about enough time. You see a phrase that after Jesus sends out the 12 and he sends out the 72, and they're actually doing it on their own. They're fishing for men on their own. You see Jesus say this phrase, I saw Satan fall. Remember that phrase? It's like, it's like this one moment where Jesus literally like is boasting in what's going on. 
It's like Satan, the gates of hell will not prevail against these people. Because they are my gospel carriers, they're doing, like, I've replicated. When you go to medical school, I've heard this, I've never been there. They teach you, you do it with them, you teach someone else. Accurate? That's discipleship. That's what Jesus did. Follow, come see, come see, follow, do this together, fishers of men. Then his last phrase he says is the phrase that we need to talk about in here today. Come and die. So he says, Come and die. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, in verse uh, 13, 14, something like that. The negative of not knowing for sure what you're going to say until you get here. Philippians 2. Uh, he says that he has a will and a way to accomplish every good purpose. Okay? And what, the, what he's saying there is, sometimes when we pray as Christians, as gospel carriers, we're going to tell you that, is, God, open up the doors for me to go. If you want me to go this direction, open up the doors. That's, a Christian, that's our Christian phrases, right? If you open the doors, I'll go through. And that's kind of saying, God, make a way. There's another part of that passage of Matters in Philippians 2 and it says a will. It also says that God will shape your what? Your desires. And isn't that what we want? <clears throat> you know what's miserable in life? When you just see doors open and you don't have the desire to walk through them. So my challenge to you is in your times with the Lord, whether they're in your quiet places or whether you're in places like right now, is not only ask God to open up doors, but ask God to shape your desires. Because when he shapes your desires, it's way easier to hear his voice. It's way easier to walk with him. Because your desires become his desires. His convictions become your convictions. And then you journey with them. Death, really, is where life begins. You know that and I know that. It's why lots of people walk into churches every week and still feel not very much different than they felt the day before they gave life to Christ. I'm just going to be honest. They feel different. It's still good. I'm not saying they're bad. But until you really turn yourself over, which we're supposed to do when we accept Christ, a lot of times accepting Christ now means he's an add-on. It's like, yeah, I want this ticket. I want this ticket punched. I want you, the preacher to tell me how I can live my life better. And really what it means when you give your life to Christ is you're saying, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live not I, but Christ lives in me. You're basically saying, I'm not adding Christ on, I'm removing myself. And then we journey. You know the cool thing about that is, God knows what your heart needs more than you. I never would have picked in my life. So the last four years of my life, I've moved four times. Three different states, but I like traversed the country in this process. And if you would have told me, is this the best way to raise kids? Is this the best way to unify a family? Is this the best way? Is this? I would say, no, 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 no. I would have been. I grew up literally. I was born. My my kids. My parents brought me home into a house. I graduated high school from the same house. I desire stability for my kids. But you know what? I more. I want more for my kids than stability. I want them to understand the gospel of who Jesus. I want them to understand who Jesus is. You can get that instability. I got that stability. But my kids right now, and my wife right now, and our relationship, our family's never been tighter and never been stronger. See, God knew what my heart needed. And so he shaped it by doing his thing. And so you journey. And sometimes you journey in their fear, right? But really, we're not supposed to fear because we're gospel people. Where our death is that victory, where our death is that sting. We should not fear. But we do sometimes because he hasn't consummated us. It's okay. We're human. We're still flesh. And so how do we live it out daily? Guys, you redeem every part of your day. It's that simple. You are on a mission of redemption, of reconciliation. It's who you are. You're salt, you're light. You're ministers of reconciliation because you've been reconciled. You're the temple, the dwelling place of God. The spirit is life that lives inside of you. You're ambassadors, you're saints, you're citizens. You, know, you, you are heirs to his throne. Uh, that's that's who you are. That's who I am. The enemy, he wants to destroy you. 
Uh, but he can't hold you. He can't touch you. He can't really do anything to you because you and I are children of God. That's who we are. And we journey with the King. And so I want to leave the last 15 minutes here for questions of just like what we've talked about. And if you don't have any, you can peace out and get more coffee. I'm good with that to you. Uh, but I just want you to know that there's nothing... I said this yesterday. I was sitting across the table from a missionary and uh, two young professionals. And they kept talking to me about how they just wish they could do this, like Jesus stuff all the time. So basically the phrase. And I understand that statement completely and I work in a church. And this was a thing that really I feel like God has placed on my heart a long time ago. And I, actually the first person that said to me, I was 18 years old. Uh, I was sitting in a 15-passenger van and Rich Mullins looked at me. And he says, Jason, everything, is, everything when you have the gospel is sacred. There is nothing secular. Remember as an 18-year-old thinking, what? But by nature, by nature, when you're a gospel carrier, everything you're a part of is sacred. Uh, now, you can trash your sacred moments by doing sinful things. But when a Christian writes a song, it's sacred. Because we are what? We're carriers of that. And so whether you are at a hospital bed, or you are at a medical clinic, or you are in Tanzania, or you are at Taylor University, or you are at Lee University, or you are standing in a classroom, or you are holding someone's hair as they're puking their brains out because they drank too much the night before, or you're picking someone up on the side of the road, or you are laying by their bed, or you are administering medicine, or you are caring for you or yourself with malaria or with other things. Listen to me. Redeem it. Open your eyes to see the Ruah, the Spirit of God all around you that indwells you as believers and is present with all mankind. And is begging for us to be seen, to redeem the world. We are on a mission of redemption. Our mission does not change when he comes back. We are re- we, he has redeemed us. He has reconciled us. We are to reconcile others. And that is how I journey. Here's the other thing too. Tell someone how to have a good marriage. Now, uh, people write books all the time. And most of the time those books I think they don't know my wife. <laughs> or my wife thinks they don't know my husband. And guess what they don't? There is no 10-step plan to having a positive relationship with Jesus. It's, just, it's a relationship. It's stop thinking about you. We're at a banquet. At a banquet, thinking about you. At a banquet, your eyes are on the bride, you're respecting her. And we wait. Brighter waits for her turn. Questions? Now you only have 13 minutes. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll talk Question 9 that we talked about? Yeah. Um, I currently work for a Catholic system, so... Yeah. Things get brought up all the time. I'm so comfortable talking about Jesus. Before this, I worked in a um, big university system that literally, I feel that if I brought it up, I would lose my job. Yeah. How do you integrate but still be an influence for people. Good. I think, you know, for me, I'll, I'll speak from no experience in the medical field, but I'll speak from experience in working in in countries where I can't lead with, uh, you know, when I go to the Horn of Africa and I meet with government officials, I don't lead with, hey, do you know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior? Do you need like, I can't lead with that. That's not my leading line. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is, is we, we represent his image. Daniel. Like, to me, Daniel didn't go around... Uh, he shoved the, the good news of God down the throats of people by the way he lived, not by the words he said. And when the gospel enters a room, the, the room stands in judgment of the gospel. And so you're a gospel carrier, so the way in which you serve, the way in which you live, the way in which you treat different people at different levels in the medical field. You know this and I know this. I, I have lots of friends who are... Different, different levels in the medical field and there's certain levels that you feel not treated very well by and there's certainly you with me and so I think you loving everyone at every level and you caring for every patient in that way and when that patient opened up their heart and their mind to you and the question is why do you do this when you don't have to? Well, why do you, it's not your job ever to empty that. Why do you do that? Well, no one wants to do that. Why, why can't I? 
do that. Uh, and then in those moments, well, why? Well, because honestly, I love Jesus. Uh, and then trusting the spirit God's given you versus trying to make a way. Every time we try to make a way, a lot of times we face opposition. When we journey, when he opens the opens the way and gives us that will and that way in that moment, we honestly experience success more than we experience failure. I really believe that. In my life, like, the moments that I see God move the most are the moments that are in my, uh, not in my convenience. My guess is the moments that you're going to see God open doors in your workplace are the moments you really need to be somewhere else. That's me. Because it's constantly God reminding me, hey, about you. It's the moment that I want to go do this, and that's the moment I see the dude on the side of the road, and I'm like, ah, Lord. <laughs> and then I pull over, and the meth head jumps in my car, and we try to talk. And I take him to the gas station, I buy him a little food, and then literally he will wait till my truck comes down Todd's Point Road, and he'll jump out into the road. Because he knows that dude gives me a ride. I still have not had the opportunity to talk to him about Jesus. But he knows there's something different about the dude that drives the Ford Black Ford one F F one fifty. And at some point, I'll get the opportunity. And if it won't be me, guess what? It'll be someone else. And that's okay. Not every we don't always get to drive the combine. It's an I sorry, I'm an Iowa person. <laughs> <laughs> combine, I don't know what the combine. We don't always get to pick we don't always get the hardest. That would be my answer. I think too the other thing too is find someone else. Like literally you're in a room full of people that have the same situations. Like, those are questions to say, how do you journey this way? How do you do this this way? Uh, and I just would pray like crazy. I pray through my day. I didn't tell you that. Like, I look at my calendar. My calendar, I have like 40-some hours of scheduled meetings every week. And so I pray through those meetings in the morning on the way to work. Like, I set my phone here, and I literally look at my calendar. That's probably wrong to do, isn't it? I'm driving <laughs> under the influence. So, but I pray through my calendar. I pray for the interactions I'm going to have. I prayed for you guys before I walked in this room. Because I knew from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock this is what I was going to do. So I prayed for that. I know at 9 o'clock I'm running to a different meeting, and I've already prayed for that meeting. And so it, 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 I feel like when I do that, it helps me recognize that God's already present in it. Even though I should know that, it helps me. Because I'm, sometimes I'm not very smart. Good, good question. Other questions? Or thoughts, or Jason, you're stupid. I'm okay with all that. Just another thought that I heard recently. We, um, I'm from North Carolina. We had someone come speak to us about integrating the gospel into yeah. the workforce in medicine and dentistry and one of the things that he said too that kind of I've been trying to live by is you don't necessarily have to pray with that person to pray for that person That's good. so regardless like you said you prayed for all of us before yeah. you met any of us yeah. before we walk in the room so sure. there's nothing stopping us from no. still living our religion and influencing that on other people yeah. like you said you don't have to see the harvest to still no, live that sure. out so you know, here's I thought that was interesting what I've found in leadership is Lots of times, in, like my role at the church now is I get the opportunity to serve lots of people uh, in my role here. And there's lots of times you see things in the people that you're serving that you think, man, if they would shift this, it would really help the whole more. You with me? We see that in our kids. You see that in the people that you lead and the people that lead you. And for a long time in my life, I would try to just have conversations about that. And sometimes you have to. But what I've done the last couple of years is I pray into those things. I pray into those people, those specific things, and all of a sudden you see God develop something in them that changes that part of them. And man, it builds your faith. Like, if you doubt who God is sometimes, my honest opinion is you're probably not praying enough about tangible things. Because if you will pray about tangible things and allow Him to work in those tangible things, your faith just grows like crazy. Good word. Someone here. Okay. Um, yeah, just uh, I'm trying to figure out life here and talking about the whole, if you are a gospel carrier, the idea that nothing is secular, everything is spiritual. Yeah. And just kind of wrestling that, because I still think I have some backwards thinking in my mind that like, everything is spiritual. That means that any moment you're not being productive needs to be praying, reading Bible, meditating, or every conversation. Oh, and so I'm just trying to, like, what does that Good question. look like in a practical sense? I think when Jesus was with his apostles around a campfire, I don't think they always sang church songs. <laughs> I, I, it is sacred for me to laugh with my kids in the play. It's, it's sacred for me. I, my, we are infinite. We've been created. Like, we're infinite. Thing. We're, you're going to be good. We're good. And what I'm saying is you redeem all the parts of your day. And part of it is, is we... 
And I'm going to get real practical here. Is even what the church has done between men and women, we've we've made everything sexual within culture. Uh, and so when someone walks down the street and sees someone who's beautiful, we feel guilt. What is guilt and beauty? Like, I don't feel guilty when I see a sunset or a... Like, this morning I was up feeding my animals outside because my wife makes me have them. I love my wife. Uh, and so I'm feeding this horse, and, which I... Anyway. And, uh, but I watched the sun come up, and honestly, I'm overwhelmed by, man, God, you are awesome. And if I want to walk with my wife and some, like, muscle-bound, six-pack, you know, Spartan warrior runs by, I can think... Man, that brother's well built. Because my wife thinks, man, that brother's <laughs> Listen to me. That's okay. That's, that doesn't, that's not a secular moment. That's me recognizing godly. But sometimes I think because of sin, we step so we step away from sin, which we should do. We should have boundaries. I'm not saying that. And and but the truth is, is sometimes then life in itself and all the joys God gives, the beauty around us becomes sinful, or that I can't have a a positive relationship with someone because they're because they're a different sex. It's just guys, it's just crazy. Like we've just it's so broken. And it takes gospel oriented people to redeem it. And so redeem it. And so I just think uh, I'm the same way. There's still parts of my life that I have trouble. And I don't and I don't want even the word spiritual makes me feel uncomfortable. But sacred makes it feel better to me just because spiritualism is different than sacred. Sacred is attached to holiness, which holiness is set apart from God. And so I just think that's... But I think, uh, yeah, every moment of our day, uh, our job's to bring the gospel in. And even if that's me standing in a restroom next to a dude at a urinal, uh, I can have a positive... Now, I'm just trying to be real practical and real crude or whatever it is, but that moment can be a moment used for kingdom, or you either help or hinder the kingdom in moments. It might also just have as much to do with the choices that you made. Yeah, in that for sure. For sure. a choice to go this way or that way, yeah. go the sacred way. A, a sacred moment is when you're laying on your bed at night. A sacred moment is when you turn on your TV and you're by yourself. A sacred moment is when you log on or you log off. Sacred, those are all moments, and it's choices. It's like, but what we do in the church, you know what would never happen? You would never walk in the front of your church building and do some of the things you do in your private time. Why? Because one you deem is sacred, one you deem is secular. That's what I'm trying to say. That's broken. And if you renew your mind, your mind, your thoughts lead to your feelings. Your feelings lead to your actions, and actions lead to results. Cognitive process. You guys know way more about it than I do. You're right. It's renew your mind. So your feelings change. If everything becomes sacred in your world, it's way, it's that you, then you truly become a gospel-oriented spirit. Good. That's a great question. Because it's just real. Other questions or thoughts about time? I think also going off that, um, like a lot of this in here, like triple A, and where the disciple will know the school, and all these schools can be deep productive. You do like work part of what happens, and when you hear like everything is sacred, everything is serious, which it is, you can fall into, I fall into, oh man, like I have to always be praying, I always be reading about it, I always be in church, I always be in school. Yeah. One thing I was really convicted of heavy um, a while back was that my refusal to rest was a slap in the face to God because I saw it as a way to Yeah, that's good. Because I wasn't being No, you're right. That's great. It's a good word. And I think, too, like, if you don't believe it already, you doing good things won't always result in good things. And if you don't believe that, God will teach you that. Because you will live your life and you'll think, why did this happen to me? And the reality is, because we live in a fallen world and bad things happen. And I think that... uh, But I also think, you know, worship, you guys, is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, Later on this morning, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to lift weights. And I'm going to be honest, I experience God at a greater capacity most days doing squats and doing bench press and doing clings and doing deadlifts than I do standing in a room singing songs. That's just me. But both are worship. So is your job. So is your thing. And so is sleep. Okay? Good.
One more question if you got it. If not, actually, if you want to stay around, it's time. It's time. So if you have more questions, I'll stay up here. How about that? But thanks so much. Can I pray for you? Then you're gone. God, you're good. Thank you so much for these guys. Help them to make decisions here that will transform not only the people around them, but themselves. God, you are good. We are not. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.